Yeah, Eurovision can be very conducive to a hot mess. Hello, and welcome to the Euro What, episode number 189 for the week of April 3rd, 2023. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hello. In this episode, we'll be finishing up our semifinal one coverage with our special guest, Allegra Cuny. Hey, Allegra. Hi, guys. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yes, uh, thank you for joining us. Allegra, you and I know one another, I think, at first from Crosswords, but how did you get introduced to Eurovision? I think the first Eurovision that I watched was 2019. So I'm relatively new to the world of Eurovision. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, I had been really excited for Eurovision 2020. And when it got canceled, I kind of went down into a, like a, a, a spiral. I watched all the old contests and I, I started to really dive into it. So then when 2021 rolled around, that was the first season that I followed avidly. And I joined the you know Eurovision Twitter and the, the fandom proper. And now I'm fully immersed. What are your thoughts on the Eurovision fandom? Like we, we've been enmeshed in it for so long that it's just like, I don't even remember a time on Twitter without out yeah <laughs> so, yeah kind of kind of like diving in midstream is that how the metaphor is gonna go or <laughs> well if i may put on my media scholar hat oh please do <laughs> it's, it's very interesting to see how eurovision fan on, on twitter and i'm not sure how it was on on instagram or on tumblr or facebook which i know that or reddit discord uh, but on, on Twitter, it's very interesting to see how it kind of follows the the logics of like stan Twitter with fan cams and fan con. There's a lot of, you know, polls. So hopefully uh, Elon Musk doesn't take away polls because people will, will lose their minds. <laughs> and a lot of just like the kind of language is uh, it's something that is borrowed or that, that comes from, you know, K-pop fandom and pop music fandom in, in general, but applied to you know, random guys from Moldova and Serbia. Yeah, uh, like, I, I feel like I always learn what the new stand Twitter formats are when I peek at the show's Twitter account and just, like, all the stuff that we follow. Yeah, you can get sucked into it. Like, like on social media, you have to practice moderation because it's, like, oh, what did, you know, at Eurofan420 say today? You know, there's, there's drama and people are always getting canceled. <laughs> and I hope I don't get canceled for uh, this, this description. I doubt you will, but I, I think it is interesting because I know almost nothing about K-pop, but I feel like I can speak about it just because of like what you were saying about how the language and practices have kind of transferred over from one fandom to another. Yeah, that's really fascinating. There's a lot of outside fandoms that I pick up through osmosis following Eurovision people who seem to be also interested in Formula One and, you know, various TV shows and it's a whole ecosystem on Twitter over there. Absolutely. Yeah, the Formula One thing in particular, like I knew nothing about auto racing until maybe like six months ago. And it's just like, why is everybody on my feed tweeting about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now I know uh, Kim, Kimi Raikosen from the, the song, the Portion Boys song. I just love that this podcast likes wearing our media studies hat a lot. Yeah, well, that's my day job. I'm a PhD student in media studies. So I have that hat on most of the time. Let's dive into today's songs. These are the last five songs we need to discuss from semifinal one. And it's worth mentioning that the first four songs we will be talking about today are in running order eight through 11. I don't want to be a soldier 
So let's go ahead to Switzerland and Remo Forer and Watergun. Remo Forer is a 21-year-old singer who won the Voice of Switzerland in 2020. On the show, he performed songs by Louis Capaldi, James Arthur, and Harry Styles to give you a sense of his aesthetic. Along with singing, Remo plays the flute, accordion, and piano, though probably not all at the same time. I would like to see it. Remo was selected internally, as was the song Watergun. Last year, Switzerland reached the grand final with Marius Bear's Boys Do Cry, but finished in 17th place due to no point in the televote. Watergun is written by Argyle Singh, Ashley Hicklin, and Mikolaj Trebulek, and will perform 8th in the lineup following Croatia. All right, Allegro, what do you think of this one? Switzerland, what are they doing over there? You would think that after last year's zero points in the televote that they would maybe take a, a different tack, but they're taking the exact same, pretty much a, a very similar tack. I mean, it's, it's not a bad song. I, I really don't think it's a bad song at all. Nor was last year's a bad song. But, you know, it's 2023. I feel like they, they, need, they need to step it up. You know, the same old sad boy ballads are not really going to cut it anymore, in my opinion. It comes off as a little insincere, a little boilerplate, and just a, kind of a repeat of what we've already seen before. So I'm a little, a little disappointed in, in our friend Remo, especially since he's not playing the accordion or flute, as far as I can tell, in this song, which seems like a waste of his talents. I don't know how well that would incorporate into this song. I mean, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, with love, love, peace, peace rules, having an instrument on stage gets you some points. Yeah, throw it all at the wall. Mike, how are you feeling about this one? Okay, I need to take off my headphones so I can take off my hoops. Uh, I absolutely hate this song. <laughs> like, I, I'm just so... Like, ah. <laughs> it's Okay, so first, I just kind of want to absolve Remo of any blame here. Like, he's not one of the listed songwriters, so it's not his song. And this is the sort of career move that you would make after winning a show like The Voice. So on paper, good idea at the time. But this song, like, I think Insensitive is a great way of describing it. Uh, it it's gross. I, I really find it to be kind of a gross song. It's an anti-war song. That's fine. But it's centering him in the discussion about it uh, in a way that is, quite frankly, I think it's disgusting. Where it's just like, you know who else doesn't want to have to be soldiers? The people of Ukraine? It's so mind-numbingly oblivious to what is going on. Since I'm already not receptive to it, I'm also like kind of getting into nitpicks of it. And the one that is driving me absolutely up the wall is that the song is called Water Gun, <laughs> one word. In the song, it is Water Guns, two words, and plural. And it's just like, <laughs> there's not even an internal logic to the song. And yeah, I, Ben, Ben, go. Okay, yes, yes, <laughs> on, on that, yeah, no. No, like the my notes open with I'm trying to find something I haven't already said about this song. So I'm going to try and be congenial. I feel like he'll sing it well. And just in the instrumentation and how it's built, that there's some potential for like dramatic staging. But I feel like I, I agree with the group. It's a fine song, but just like not now, not now, Switzerland. Especially coming from Switzerland, they're they're famously the most neutral country. I love your your comment, Mike. Well, I, I want to like step back from saying he is because like again, he didn't write the song, but it's centering the singer of the song, and it's just it's just kind of gross. And I, yeah, just like I don't know what I want out of this in Liverpool. Well, actually, no, I do know what I want. I, I also have a note that says I'm really hoping that Croatia and Israel sandblast this out of people's minds. It is so cruel that this was placed right up against Croatia. It's like this false point counterpoint <laughs> thing, even though it is overall the same message, but. Yeah, like that. There, there seems to be a little bit of cruelty in there that I find a little hilarious. But yes. 
two very different responses to like the same prompt. It's giving a, a dark side meets I don't feel hate back in 2021. The unintentional or perhaps intentional juxtaposition of uh, two songs that really complement each other in how different and yet thematically alike they are. Oh, that that is such a good comparison. Yeah, it's, it's just like a weird doubling down by Switzerland after last year. So I'm I'm very interested to see in an all televote semifinal like where this places, especially with it being like smack dab in the middle. If I may predict, I don't I don't know if this is making it out of this very very strong semifinal. I would agree with that. I hope that it makes Switzerland kind of take pause and go, "Hey, what if what if we did like another Luca Hani? That was fun." Or how about a woman? The last time they had a female singer was in 2018, and the last time that a woman qualified for Switzerland was back in 2011. So, it might be time Switzerland think about it. To, to dive into the lyrics a little bit. I like that Mike pointed out the water gun singular plural uh, dynamic. But what do you think? I don't I don't want to play with real blood is stays with me because like it implies that people play with fake blood, which is not really a thing. Something about that line of real blood made me just go like, can we get like a staging effect that instead of the rain of sparks is just sort of like a carry thing? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It is a weird line to include, but I think I just kind of chalk that up to it's your vision yeah it's your vision it's like this type of song which yeah they're gonna go a little over the top a little bit Next up is Israel and Noah Carell with the song Unicorn. Noah Carell was the first act to be announced for this year's Eurovision and is currently one of Israel's biggest pop stars. Born in 2001, she began posting music videos on YouTube when she was 14, and by 2017, she earned her first MTV Europe Music Award for Best Israeli Act. Her song Unicorn was released on International Women's Day, and she co-wrote it with Doran Madali, May Svadia, and Yanan Yahel. Doran Medley was also on the writing team for Toy, which gave Israel its most recent Eurovision win in 2018. Last year's entry, I Am by Michael Ben David, did not advance to the final, finishing in 13th place in the second semifinal. So Allegra, what do you make of Unicorn? You know, I have four words. Feminine, feminine, feminine owl. That's that's my takeaway. When I heard this song, did I go right to Facetune and put in a picture of Weird Al and make him feminine? I sure did. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Wiping my hands. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's that joke that maybe three people will uh, a, lot, a lot of effort for a limited reward there. But yeah, it's it's one of those, and there, there's a whole song beyond feminine Al. But it's one of those times where people who maybe are not fully fluent in English try a little bit of wordplay and it kind of almost works. You see what they're going for with phenomenal, phenomenal feminine Al, uh, but it doesn't, it's like you're almost there. A little bit like alcohol you when I'm drunk. I, I see what you were going for. Let's maybe do another draft. Let's let's think about that. Yeah. 
And then the rest of the song is kind of a let's throw everything at the wall approach, which I'm into in this case. I, I think it, it kind of works, even though it's completely all over the place musically and lyrically. But this is one where I'm particularly excited to see the staging. I think that there's a lot of potential there. I hope that they go really, really wacky with it. I don't know if they're going to import the... Uh, if you guys have seen the music video, you know that there's a point where her torso is spliced onto a horse's body. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> no, you haven't seen it, or no, you're trying not to think of it. Uh, no, I'm trying not to think of it. I, uh... Just like Israel, do not go for in-camera effects, not now. Are there any Eurovision rules? Are there rules that say you can't have a horse on the stage? You can't have a real horse on the stage. Oh, but, man. Uh, yeah, but if you're creative with costumes or if they do some weird AR thing. Oh, they're going to do some weird AR thing, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you, you can just stop now, Israel. You don't have to do it. Overall, I, I, I quite like it. Allegra, I'm so glad that you called out the feminine all line because I'd also call that out because it took me until prepping my notes for this week's show to go, okay, but what is she singing in the two lines before that? And going, oh, that's supposed to be the word phenomenal. And it's so hard to say it the other way. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I am genuinely impressed that she's able to pull off that wordplay because it is very awkward and does not roll off the tongue easily. For me, there's a lot of things happening. I've kind of spoken how I don't like how it kind of just gets to the last 30 seconds of the song and just turns into a juddering dance break that telegraphs itself by screaming at the audience, do you want to see me dance? And just like, I'm absolutely going to get trampled in the arena for shouting no in response. <laughs> Which, fair, fair. Dupont has been working on their write-ups of the songs this season and nailed what I've not loved about this song lyrically in that it kind of pays lip service to being a female empowerment anthem. There's like the, the lines, history caught in the loop, don't you want to change it? And then we never go back to that. Releasing on the, this on International Women's Day, it's trying to be universal, but it's similarly self-centered like Switzerland is. And like, it's all about her. She's the unicorn. Or she has the power of a unicorn, which in certain fictional universes, unicorns have, have powers. In others, they don't. So I, I want to know which, uh, what's, what's the rules of this, this fantasy world? What powers does a unicorn have? It's maximalist in a way that I like. I will say that. Uh, but yeah, like I mostly just get hung up on it's kind of saying a lot of nothing. And it's all about that dance break. And I'm weirdly unexcited for that dance break. Well, she's just so aggressive about it. Yeah. Like My first note is uh, you want to see me dance, but written in the SpongeBob meme font. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that is the way that I hear it every time it comes up in the song. But this one is such a wild card for me. If this were like ESC 2013, I think this would have like totally knocked everybody on their seats. So it feels a little dated in that way. But at the same time, if that dance break does an awesome job, like I could see this doing very well in the semifinal. So like, it, I, like I really have no idea what to expect here. Going back to the lyrics, I'm kind of noticing that there may be a trend of stream of consciousness, not quite idiomatic English happening. Because like you kind of have that with Armenia's entry. You have it a little bit more with Georgia's entry. So like I think that section of the world may be kind of experimenting with this. It's almost Swedish in its style, where it's just like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter what the English is as long as it fits to the meter of the song. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's what's happening here or if it's just like just a weird coincidence that it's happening. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't really help Israel in this case since Armenia and Georgia are in the other semifinal. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious 
curious to see if and how this evolves in the next couple of years. But I get the sense that this is going to do better than I'm expecting. I think as a song, it is kind of a hot mess. But if it's hotter than it is messier on the night, I think that's going to work in its favor. Yeah, I think this one really comes down to what they have planned for the staging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Eurovision can be very conducive to a hot mess. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Ben, what did you call it? A juddering dance break? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, the juddering dance break. And no, I mean, she's over the top, right? Isn't she the one who wore, after Kanye West made some kind of horrible anti-Semitic uh, comment, she wore a, a dress covered in pictures of Kanye West to a red carpet event? Yep. So yep, that was her. <laughs> if we bring this that kind of sensibility to the stage, who knows? Uh, and that's the other thing I wanted to bring up about this song, if I may. As a, a Jew, when I first heard this song, I go, oh. This is very obviously about anti-Semitism. Other people, I guess, didn't didn't get that as strongly. But I'm not your enemy. Do you want to check my DNA? Time to go away and believe in fairy tales. History caught in a loop, right? These are all, it, it, I mean, it, it is very much about, you know, feminism. Uh, and don't ask me how the feminine fentanyl part fits in to my theory is that they just had that bit the the feminine all bit and uh said okay this is going in the song let's write the rest of the song around that doesn't have to relate so that doesn't fit into the anti-semitism part but the rest of it and especially this is my piece de resistance of my theory a persistent anti-semitic trope is that jews have horns uh and what else has horns or horn singular as a unicorn so it says okay if you know call me names and tell me i have horns i'm gonna be strong like a unicorn which is a a horned creature uh but very majestic and powerful so that's my perhaps giving them more credit with the lyric writing than they deserve but that's that's what i got out of it and uh i don't know if that makes you like it more or or less but it's an interpretation it makes me want to re-listen to it in that frame because like i think that's what's interesting because they were making such a big deal about it being released on international women's day and if that is the central message of the song which i think your your theory makes a lot of sense i'm curious about the distraction element of it and if and like if that was intentional or i think it's a very interesting lens to look at the song through like most things i think it's like this type of song where it's open to interpretation like the type of song that could be about the love of a woman or the love of god you know the songs they they leave it open for it to be about whatever you want it to be about which could be feminism or anti-semitism or probably a variety of other things well now i have some homework so this is great (laughs) (laughs) yeah i expect a 12 page book report okay adding it to my to-do list thank you all right Okay, uh, so next in the running order is Moldova and Pasha Parfini with Swarle Shiluna. Pasha Parfini is a Eurovision alum, having represented Moldova in 2012 and reaching 11th place with his song Lautar. This year, Pasha won Moldova's selection process, Etapa Nacionala. Pasha has been very active in Moldova's Eurovision history, competing in several national selections and also co-writing their 2013 entry. He wrote this year's entry alongside his wife, Juliana Skutaru, and Andre Vulpe. Trenuleto by Jobs Didub and the Advahov brothers finished second in last year's televote, boosting Moldova to seventh place overall. Mike, where are you at with this one? What I find interesting about 
Moldova as a Eurovision participant is they know how to work the televote. And I think this is going to be an entry that the delegations are going to be looking at to see how the all televote format for the semifinals is going to impact Moldova. And I could see this either doing really, really well or finishing dead last. I think the song itself is fine. It really does feel like a rehash of Fulen from last year. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe Fulen was just a year ahead of when it should have happened, and this is going to be kind of the redemption of that theory. Or maybe this is just something that is not going to connect with people. Like, I don't have a strong opinion about the song one way or the other, which may be a red flag for the song. Like, I I don't know if anybody has a really strong opinion of it. Maybe one of you has a very strong opinion of it. I will pass it over. (laughs) Allegra, do you have a stronger opinion on this song than Mike does? I have opinions on this song. I'm not sure how how strong they are. Uh, This song reminds me a little bit of Stefan from SNL. You know, this this club has everything. It has a, a little person playing the flute. It has... Hot twins and antlers. It has Pasha Parfani in a man bun. Uh, I mean, those, those are mainly the the big ones. Uh, but it, again, it's it's maximalist in a way that I that I think turned out very well on stage at the Moldova national selection. So I'm pleasantly surprised by this one because I'm not such a fan of his 2012 entry, which I found a little creepy in an unpleasant way with the like woman kind of dancing like zombies. Uh, so it's interesting to see him back. 11 years later, now with the the whole kind of man bun Coachella look, which is definitely something, you know, in, in 2023 to uh, to pull off that look. Although I don't know where they're at with, you know, fashion in Moldova. But when I think of the man bun, what would you guys say was the heyday of the man bun here in America? Mm, it's not recent. Part of me is saying 2017, but may still be too late. Yeah, I mean, this is not to to police his hairstyle or or accuse him of of being unfashionable. It's just I I see it and I'm brought back into a time when that was very, very prevalent. But yeah, like, which is the second thing of the song, which I agree, it's it's a little bit Fulan. Uh, It's a little bit Stefania, even with the with the flute, uh, the kind of the kind of traditional instrumentation meets a, a dance beat. But I'm I'm optimistic because I think that he's performed it well, and I think that it will be cool on stage. Yeah, uh, I just, I just love all of our descriptions of Pasha Parfini. Like I like him as a performer, and I do like that he's coming into 23 looking like the person who's going to guide you on your ayahuasca trip. I generally like Moldova, and I just can't figure out or put my finger on why I don't like this more. I did not understand how much Trenuleto was just going to like pop off in the arena last year. And when Moldova is on, they're very on and they have this, uh, like the pulse of the crowd. And like this one is, it's not as there for me. It is like, I like the, all of our comparisons to Fulan. That feels like a very apt comparison because there's this sense of the dark forest and magic is happening. There's a lot going on in the staging and I'm not sure they need all of the elements or if that's the right way to stage this, but they seem very committed to it. Yeah, the, the flute player seems to be making the pre-party rounds and I'm I'm anticipating him becoming somewhat of a of a meme or a, a a presence at least yeah i think that is where i'm finding a lot of discomfort with this entry i can't tell if that's being exploitative or not and i i just keep wrestling with it i think i'm dealing with the, with the same level of okay but like is this fine and that could just be me as as a human being in 2023 you know it's representation right as as far as i can tell there's not been a a, a little person on the eurovision stage uh, and i think he's a part of the part of the band so i mean we'll, we'll we'll have to see how it goes but i i think it has the potential to be very cool 
But yeah, Mike, I agree with you that I could see this one doing super well in Televote. I could also see it just like not clicking and just ending up out of contention. Yeah, at the same time, though, this semifinal is so stacked that at least a couple fan favorites are not going to make it. Yes, we can move on to one of those fan favorites, Sweden and Loreen with Tattoo. Loreen Talhui, a Eurovision alumna, is perhaps best known for the track Euphoria. That song did quite well in Baku, winning the contest, and until 2022, topped the annual ESC 250 countdown. Loreen first appeared on TV screens on the 2004 season of Swedish Idol, finishing in fourth place. After working behind the scenes in reality TV for a few years, Loreen competed in her first Melody Festival in 2011. Following her Eurovision win, Loreen was a cultural ambassador for Sweden, including work in Belarus and Afghanistan. At this year's Melfest, Tattoo won the jury and public vote and was the third highest winning score in the current scoring system. The song is currently at the top of the Swedish singles chart and has entered the charts in at least five other countries. Tattoo is written by Jimmy Jansen, Jimmy Thornfelt, Loreen Talhui, Moa Cassiopeia Kalebecker, Peter Bolström, and Thomas Gieson. Bostrom and Jason also wrote Euphoria. Sweden took fourth place in last year's contest thanks to Cornelia Jacobs' Hold Me Closer. Okay, Ben, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, boy. I have been struggling with thoughts on this one. And I think part of it is just I'm a little bit burnt out on Melfest. Mm. I kept kind of putting off all of my listening for this week because I, well, not not just because of this one, but just because I'm weirdly unenthusiastic about this one. Like, there are three or four other things from this year's Melfest that I have listened to more since Melfest than Tattoo. There are things I like about this song, like the, the, the intro synth line that feels very much like the knife and what Fever Ray does is really cool. For me, but like overall, I feel like this is the sort of thing that Sweden has sent many years where they have been punished in the televote. And I don't understand what's different about Tattoo other than it's Lorene. And Lorene won last time, and we like Lorene. Also, it's just it's Thomas G. Son by the numbers. And like it's cool seeing Cassiopeia yeah. in there because I think she had some input in Alexa's song from American Song Contest. Anyway. Yeah, she either co wrote it or wrote it like just wrote it i liked that song and then i liked her entry in last year's melfest even though she got nowhere near the top but she was a lot of fun so i like her being in the mix i've been looking around at what is reddit saying what are other people saying and i think people are looking at how eurovision acts have been doing lately after their win and are going oh this is a chance to have worldwide impact for loreen and i'm not sure that this song is going to have the same impact as like amana skin is it's fine, and I totally understand why it's going to do well, but I'm more excited by other things. And I have other thoughts, but other people should talk. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's nice that Sweden is willing to take a chance on, you know, just an, a real unknown, uh, upcoming, emerging artist. <laughs> After watching Melfest this year, I mean, this was, first of all, this was the clear choice to win Melfest. Melfest this year was kind of, I mean, like like Ben said, it's it's feeling tired at this point. It's really, I mean, when, when you look at, at the Melfest final, every single song, had, you know, you could draw a Venn diagram with at least with Yimmy Janssen or 
Yimmy, uh, Joker, Thornfeld. They, no song in the Melfest final did not have a credit from one of the Jimmys or Yimmys. There's a part of me that is pumped to see Loreen come back because she's Loreen, you know, she's Eurovision royalty. I do like the song. I'm not sure how it falls on on the ranking of Loreen's uh, previous Melfest efforts, which this is her, her fourth. It's certainly not Euphoria, but I don't know if it just doesn't have that impact because we know what to expect from her. The lyrics are definitely not, not it. Somebody needs to go in and, and punch up those lyrics, especially the oh, but the, the chorus. I don't I don't care about them all because all I want is to be loved. That that in particular annoys me, uh, especially since it sounds like she's saying I don't care about them all or I don't care about the yeah. mud. <laughs> I don't care about the mole, uh, which is how I feel when Ben tweets about the mole. <laughs> Noted. This is an intervention. Uh, <laughs> I'm of two minds because I'm pumped for Lorraine to be back. She she looks great. She looks like the um like the video game evolution. You know, when you take 2012 Lorraine and 2023 Lorraine, it looks like she's leveled up in the in the video game, and now she's a level 100 paladin or whatever. And I I also I like the 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 Dune aesthetic of the performance. Although I my main feeling when I watch the video is is concern that that giant set piece is going to fall on her. Uh, and to me that it actually interferes with my enjoyment of the song because I'm, I'm concerned for the the construction of the set and the giant what did they say it weighed like 10,000 pounds or, or some obscene amount to the point where they don't know if they're going to be able to recreate it in Liverpool uh, but so when I'm watching it I'm thinking you know gosh don't it's it's like she's she's going to be squeezed in this you know George Foreman grill of LED screens I assume that they know what they're doing over there but that I mean, you know, that's Sweden. They, they like to go big with the staging. Uh, she performs it very well. What do you guys think about having a repeat winner in this day and age? Are, are you of the mind of, you know, let somebody else win? Or would you be mad if, if Lorene was to take the crown twice? I don't think I have a strong opinion one way or the other. I mean, if the song is good enough, then yes. I just don't think that this song is necessarily good enough in this year's field. Before I share my thoughts, Ben, did you want to answer the question? In my notes, and like one of the things I was holding back on is that when I look at times when Sweden has sent a past winner, I would love for this to 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 sort of do what Corolla did. Corolla came back in like 2006. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. yeah, that was the, the lordy one, and it's great. We love Corolla, but also like that finishing in fifth was correct. I would love this to finish in like fourth or fifth. At the same time, I, I think there would be something funny about Sweden, uh, you know, showing up Ireland so that they can no longer say they have the most wins and Johnny Logan no longer being the uh, the top Eurovision guy. I think that that would that would make me chuckle. I do love that idea of just like just sending Ireland even into even more of like a mental tailspin. Yeah, just, that's, like, here for that. that's not a good reason to, to root for a song. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but like do, do it with a better song. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I've made my thoughts on this song kind of known at this point, but it's just like it's fun. It's kind of what you expect from Sweden. I really don't like the production on the track. Like, I I just think the track and kind of the performance as well. Everybody's just trying way too hard. And I don't understand why that's the case. This really feels like Sweden's kind of going nuclear. And I don't know why they feel the need to do that. Back in 2013, when Netherlands sent a nuke to Eurovision. And that was just like, okay, we're sending our biggest pop star. And that was to break their decade-long not qualifying streak. And had she not qualified, I would not have been surprised if Netherlands had reconsidered their participation in Eurovision. She qualified, kind of changed direction for Netherlands. They're fine. They're happy. They're great. 
Israel's kind of doing the same thing by sending Noah Carell. Like, I think they're trying to prevent a wilderness period from happening because they've been having diminishing returns since 2018. But Sweden's been doing fine at the contest. Like, they've never been at risk really. 2021 may have been the dodgiest in recent memory, but uh, even then, like, it was fine. And I, I don't know why they're throwing everything on this. I don't even think you have to be, like, a a Euro fan. Like, if you just tune in on the night, but you kind of know your Eurovision history, and the commentators are going to bring this up a thousand times anyway, that Lorene won in 2012, and it's just going to bring on that comparison. It's like, oh, the song's fine, but it's no euphoria. And I think that's going to sit with a lot of people. One thing I am looking forward to is the London Eurovision party, because Lorene is going to be performing at that. I would like to see a performance of this without a giant stage, without all of the bells and whistles and whatever else Sweden will want to throw at this production, and just have it performed as a song and see how that goes. I get why people like it. I'm not people. So... (laughs) (laughs) I am kind of secretly hoping that they have to rethink the staging and that the weight of the the arena will not support the Panini Press. When we have years where something is this level of front runner, that you should just like have like a fun little solo Taskmaster thing that gets handed to you of just like, oh, you have to rethink your staging. You can't, you can't, you can't have the Panini Press. A little handicap. Yeah, yeah, just like a little handicap or just yeah, just like a just like a little thing that only Josh Widdicombe has to do. You have to include this element in your staging. Just like a little fun task that's for you, but just something like, um, surprise, the arena can't support the the LED screen. You'll need to think about how to do this in a different way. With augmented reality. No. Look, if they make Lorene have to count how many beans are in a can of baked beans, I will give her my Yeah, just like I will watch the (laughs) just show me the raw footage. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Yeah. I mean, I will say though, this song, it, it is, it's doing very well on the charts in a way that Statements, her last uh, Melfest effort in 2017, uh, did not. I can see it being a, a, a triumphant homecoming of sorts. Although I always wonder why people who've already won Eurovision, especially in, in Sweden, go back and, and do it again. Like, what is what is the advantage there? Like, you already won. That's that's how I feel. But apparently it's, that's what everybody does, you know, in Melfest and to a lesser extent in Eurovision. So I guess that's the Swedish way of life. I don't know if Sweden has mandatory military service, but maybe this is like the alternative. <laughs> like you either do Melfest or serve two years. You your can choice. serve two years <laughs> and do Melfest for a third time. Sorry, Closing us out today, we have the Netherlands. The Netherlands internally selected the song Burning Daylight by Mia Nikolai and Dion Cooper. Mia is a singer-songwriter and actress, originally from Amsterdam and currently based in Los Angeles. In fact, one of her songs is part of Moldova's selection process this year. Dion Cooper is also a singer-songwriter, originally from a suburb of The Hague, and competed on The Voice of Holland in 2015. More recently, Dion was a support act for Eurovision 2019 winner Duncan Lawrence. Mia, Dion, and Duncan are credited as the writers for Burning Daylight, along with Jordan Garfield and Luke van der Grinten. The Netherlands reached 11th place last year with S10's De Diepte. This year, they will start the competition between Czechia and Finland at the end of the running order. Allegra, how do you feel about this one? I think that this one is a grower. I didn't necessarily have the highest expectations, 
But honestly, it has it has grown on me. And I think that I'm partial to this Eurovision genre of like angsty male female ballad duet. I'm thinking like uh, Norway 2015, A Monster Like Me. Uh, I, I think that if if it's successful with vocals and staging, that could give that kind of moment. It is quite angsty. Teenagers certainly don't have a, a monopoly on, on angst, uh, but it's it's a kind of song that you want to listen to in your bed when you're feeling down. And I especially like how it builds. I think that a limitation of this song is that it only has three minutes to build. I think that this is something that you get sometimes with this type of song. Like I think the Netherlands had this in 2020 with Grow, where at the end it hits this big moment. And then because the song is almost over, it doesn't have time to sit in that moment. But overall, I like it more than I expected. There's a conspiracy theory going around on Twitter that these two don't actually like each other and that they uh, try to avoid being in the same room as much as possible. I know that in their uh, 50 Days to Eurovision video, they like Photoshop them into a large 5-0 sign. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's true, but I kind of hope it is because that would be funny. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't think they would be the first duo or group to have internal strife if that is true. So. <laughs> Some behind the scenes drama. Mike, how do you feel about this one? Has it grown on you? I think it has. I think it's interesting that this is a song about spinning your wheels and that it's coming from the Netherlands because it does feel like the Netherlands is spinning its wheels a little bit with this selection. It, it does have a hook. It does have a big moment. They've got two singers. They've got some hot glue like that. That just kind of feels like how this whole thing has come together. So I'm not sure if it entirely coheres. But yeah, if they had a little bit more than three minutes, I think the song would work a little bit better. I, I completely agree with that point. I don't love where this sits in the running order, but then I was kind of looking at all of the songs in this half of the semifinal, and there's really not a good place to put this song. I'm not sure if being that difficult to slot is going to help it or hurt it. Like, it could help it stand out, or it could just deflate it by being placed in between Czechia and Finland, which are definitely different vibes from this track. I think the production on the track is really nice. If there is internal strife with the duo, like hopefully they can put that aside for each three minutes that they have to be on stage together and make it work. It's grown on me as well. There are pieces of it, melody-wise, that stick in my head. Overall, it feels like the Netherlands is just sort of asserting, we can send a very competent song to Eurovision, we've figured it out. But it, it it feels like it's not a winner to me, and I think that they're fine with that. Honestly, when I first heard the song, I'm like, okay, but why is this song a duet? Yeah. If you had told me that it was just like somebody internally in the Netherlands was just like, oh, we should send like a duet this year. We should send like a guy and a girl. What if we did that? And that's why they ended up picking who they did. This song feels like it could also work as a solo piece. Yeah, and I think it would work better as a solo piece. The harmonies are nice and the contrast in voices is nice, but for the overall story of the song, it's like, mm, why are there two voices here? Yeah, it's like, I, why, yeah, why are these two in conversation? Because it's two people having the same conversation. It's not really in any sort of discussion with one another. It's just sort of, I feel this way. I do as well. It reminds me of in high school when we would have these uh, like concerts, kids sang, sang show tunes, and sometimes two friends would, would decide that they just wanted to sing a duet, and they would sing like On My Own from Les Mis, but as a duet, <laughs> the, the, the vibe was, was kind of, you know, two people emoting at the audience singing what was originally meant to be not a duet. This, you know, is not as blatantly ironic as that, but it kind of has that vibe. What this track is reminding me of, from the 2017 contest, so you also have that Ukraine connection in there, Verona and Blackbird. Like, I don't think it's as campy as Verona is, but 
it does have that same sort of like duet energy and like just really pleasant melody, but like neither Verona or Blackbird qualified and people still think that that was a crime. I agree on one of them. One of them I need a little bit more convincing. So (laughs) those are my two of my all time favorites. Uh, if if they give me half of the the drama of Verona, I will be thrilled. I could see this one as being one down the like three or four years down the road. Everyone going, oh, this was better than I remember it being, which is great, but not great in the moment when you're just like, okay, but this needs to stick with you now. If it does qualify, I think the juries will go for this one, and I could see this doing like really well on ESC 250. Yeah, like, I, I I do agree with you that it does have that kind of slow burn. You need to take a moment to truly appreciate it. Quality. This one feels weirdly in the same sort of realm as Snap from last year, where, like, on the night of, it places 20th, but, like, six months from now, suddenly everybody's using it in TikToks. We need to get started on the the sped-up version for TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Can can we get the Nightcore version going now? Yes. Get it ready to go viral. What I've been doing with this listening series so far is I've been putting the songs for the week in there and then also noting what Spotify automatically serves up to me after each batch of five songs just to go, okay, what does what does the algorithm think I need to listen to after this one? And apparently after this group of five as a whole, it's like, you need something a little bit more up-tempo. Because in, in order, and this has happened multiple times, I have gotten Finland first, then the UK, which is fun, then Austria, and then just completely goes off the tr- off the rails and gives me BB Rex's I'm Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I see how you're connecting the dots here. Again, it's an intervention. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Allegra, thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you, guys. Is there anything you would like to point out to our listeners, like social media, projects, websites, etc.? Yeah, you can follow me. Uh, I'm on Twitter, probably more than I should be, at ESCLegs, L-E-G-S. That's my Eurovision Twitter handle. And then uh, at Allegra Miriam is my regular Twitter handle. And yeah, that's that's my social media plug. Excellent. And what songs are in your top five for this year? The ones that I'm really rooting for are Cha Cha Cha. I may or may not have got out and bought the ugliest neon green nail polish that I could find. But I'm also really rooting for Spain, uh, Blanca Paloma. I think that song has real winner vibes to me. And also Spain hasn't won since 1969. So it's it's time. It's time, Spain. Uh, and I love that song. And I love her and her very outsized presence and singing flamenco at any given opportunity. Um, and the other one I'm really into is Austria. Who the hell is Edgar? That's one I haven't been able to stop listening to. And how did they come up with this and why? But I'm so glad they did. Yeah, and this is going to be my first time ever traveling to the Eurovision. So I'm really excited to see it in person. What shows will you be seeing? I was only able to get a ticket for the semifinal two evening preview show. So I'm going to get to see, you know, Gustav and 15 other acts that I don't care about as much as Gustav. (laughs) (laughs) Gustav and friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to be at the the semifinal two jury show and then hopefully going to get to see the others from the Euro Village or the Euro Club or the Euro Streets or any of those other Euro prefixes that they seem to be. Euro City, Euro Town. And I'm also going to get to go to England for the first time, which is very exciting. And will I will I be seeing you guys there? I will be there. Okay. Oh, did you guys see that Lord of the Lost met the King of England? Yes. Finally, something to replace the picture of Obama shaking Jedward's hand. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. And on that note, that's going to do it for this episode of The Eurowhat. Thanks for listening. The Eurowhat Podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can find show notes, our socials, and all the info you need about Eurovision 2023 on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to help support the show and access a ton of bonus content from the Eurowhat AV Club, head over to patreon.com slash Eurowhat. Next time on the Eurowhat, we start digging into the songs from this year's second semifinal with our special guest, Andy Denner. 